0: Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all
1: things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods.
0: Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. This is number four in the series, folks, and I apologize for the delay between shows here, but I've been battling a late spring cold these past few weeks, which is Kind of ironic, given how hot things have gotten down in Florida, especially when it comes to the Universal Parks and Resorts. So we've got a lot of ground to cover with today's show. So let me bring my co-host Dustin Fuse in right
1: now. All right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in.
0: Let's just get started with discussing all the Universal-related news that's broken since we last recorded, which I want to say was May. Obviously, the big, big, big news. This is a wild card. Nobody knows where this is going to go. June 13th, after months of rumor and speculation, Comcast, which, let's remember, parent company of Universal Parks and Resorts, not to mention NBC Universal, announced that it would be offering 20th Century Fox $65 billion in cash for certain motion picture production and television broadcast aspects of, of that corporation. Now, I, I don't need to tell you, Dustin, that back in December of, of 2017 the Walt Disney Company made a 52.4 billion dollar bid for the exact same film production and and TV assets but but the Disney offer was all stock
1: but we're looking at the fact that like when that happened all the business news sites everyone was talking about the potential and it was about mm-hmm. the the IPs that Disney would get from Fox and everyone started to put these master uh Conglomerations together and be like, okay, what can we do? What's the exciting thing that we can bring together? And it wasn't done, was it?
0: No, but during the same period, Disney's having meetings with 20th Century Fox executives trying to decide who's going to be in charge of what division at the company and, you know, when they consolidate things. So this was so far along that they had already set a date, July 10th, where the idea was that that was when. Fox shareholders were going to give their formal approval to this acquisition deal. So Comcast coming in at the last minute with this all-cash bid is 19% higher than what Disney is offering. There's now a question of whether or not Fox is going to proceed with that July 10th meeting.
1: So with the Walt Disney Company coming in and they've made this offer, it's now worldwide news. Everyone knows exactly what's going on. Comcast comes in and says, well, we can outdo that. There's talk, and even earlier today, there's been rumblings saying that the Walt Disney Company is now expected to actually sweeten its offer, which when we look back in time, that was one of the stories that got me into theme parks was the SeaWorld acquisition back in the day that Universal had that potential to buy that entire lot from SeaWorld. And it was, no, this isn't a bid. This is what I'm going to pay. So now fast forward all these years and we're looking at this potential of a possible bidding war for some of these amazing IPs that both Disney and Universal could, you know, you talk to some of the creative folks within both companies and they're salivating at the opportunity. They're like, okay, where can we put this? Where can we put this?
0: You have two diametrically opposed positions here. Disney really, this is more about the library? And as you mentioned, the IPs, whether it's getting clear right to all of the Star Wars films that it didn't make, or or for that matter, all of the Marvel characters that are the X Men and Deadpool and, you know, folks like that who were tied up over at Fox. But doesn't Comcast have a very different take on on why they want Fox?
1: Yeah, and it it really comes back to the reach, to the fact that Comcast, which looks after Universal, uh, all of the parks worldwide, they want this library, but they also want to be known as a world-class player. And that's something that Universal really wants, especially when we're looking at the new park that they're opening up. Groundbreaking happened for, it was Beijing, right? Mm-hmm. Groundbreaking was 2016, and it's scheduled to be open in 2020. Can you imagine if there was a little bit of 20th Century Fox in that? It would be kind of interesting.
0: And there may be another character uh, folded into the mix here, that this whole focus on global reach and international actually came into play with what Universal did back in May—they cut a deal with Eon Productions. Uh, that's the the British-based film production company that does all of the James Bond films. And production of Bond 25 is gets underway in December of this year. With and Daniel Craig's coming back because his fifth appearance is 007. But. Eon had already made a deal with MGM, which has done the Bond films for a long, long, long time. They were going to handle domestic distribution in the North American territory. The international and the home entertainment rights were up for grabs. And so Eon puts them out for bid. And as I understand it, every single major movie studio, with the exception of Disney, made a run at these, these international and home entertainment rights for Bond 25. and Which for me is weird. I mean... Did you ever hear the story about the original story, the original theming for Lights Motor Action at the studios?
1: I have a feeling that it had something to do with Bond.
0: <laughs> you remember, the very first Lights Motor Action opens with Walt Disney Studios Park in uh, Paris. And that's what, 2002? When they were putting that park together... They wanted to do the figure again. We, we want something that will appeal to an international audience. And so they reach out to the Broccoli family. And Barbara Broccoli had basically taken over as the, the keeper of the Bond cinematic flame after her dad died. Disney put together this elaborate presentation where when you came into the attraction, the queue actually took you through, oddly enough, Q's lab. You got to see all of the cool devices that Bond we supposed to use as part of the show. And then you load into the stadium. And, and honestly, tell me when you sit in that stadium and look out at the seaside Mediterranean village, it, it looks like the set of every Bond film at some point has the car chase scene in the small European village. And that was what this was supposed to be. But the Brocoli family said no. And I keep hearing it was financial, so... They stripped Bond out of it and still went ahead with the project.
1: Now, when they took Bond out, was that something that was similar to what happened with J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter feeling where it was the control mentality and knowing that there was all of this history with 007 that I don't want to say that they could do better, but maybe what they saw wasn't quite up to the standards that they were looking for. Because, you know, we're looking at James Bond, and at that point in time, there are 25 films, all these amazing characters, and the fact that I grew up on Bond, but I also grew up on the James Bond video games, the mm -hmm. N64, which I believe is the largest, the game itself, uh, outside of Mario, I think was the largest of any of the, the N64 games, and that's because people really enjoyed that world. And if we are looking at the fact that Universal wants to to bring 007 into the parks, there are a couple really great spots for that.
0: Well, now, before we get people's hopes up here, I want to stress, that's the we're making the rounds, that somewhere in the deal, in addition to the international distribution rights and the home entertainment rights that supposedly universal has scored the theme park rights to bond and guy called a friend at universal creative and tried to get him to confirm and deny this info and he said it's way too early to start talking about a project involving this ip for the universal parks and resorts because not to throw cold water on it but first of all universal parks doesn't have a deal with daniel craig It really wouldn't make much sense to do a James Bond thing without the guy. Absolutely. And then if you're going to be shooting any footage with Daniel Craig as James Bond, probably the earliest you're going to be able to do it is spring of 2019. After they finish shooting what they need for Bond 25. I mean, it'll be kind of what happened with James Gunn and the Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout. They had to literally clear a day to shoot the footage for the ride while they were shooting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And then (laughs) there's what Thierry Coop said at the Fast and Furious Supercharge press event. What's happening is this rumor is taking on sort of a life of its own and people are going, oh my God, the (laughs) T2 3D theater, it'll be the perfect place for the James Bond show. And it's like, here's the thing. Thierry, as part of the press event for Fast and Furious Supercharge said, Summer of 2019, two attractions will be opening. One of them will be the Forbidden Forest roller coaster just down the hill from Hogsmeade Village over, you know, at Islands. And the other one will be an unnamed show in the T2 3D theater over at Universal Studios Florida. So again, given those time constraints and what's previously been said about this theater, I don't... Think we're seeing a Bond attraction in Studios Florida or Islands Adventure anytime soon. I guess what I'm saying here is it's doubtful we'll see anything next year. Now if we're talking 2020,
1: 2021. Eh. Maybe a little bit different, but we're also looking at a, a theater. And I think that when we're talking about these franchises like Bond or Star Trek, or all of these different rumors that have been talked about over the last few months, they are just rumors. But Bond has such an amazing history that to see them go into a single theater, that's something that could be rough. I don't know if it's going to be the right place for them. I think that they could put an entire land together I've seen some of the amazing pieces. There was a traveling exhibition for Bond that that came up here to Toronto, and I've been following it since. And some of these rooms and these characters are things that I want to see in a theme park. And I don't know if putting them into a single theater could be the best potential. It it may be a really good stopgap for now. But I don't know if that's going to end up being the decision that's made. But then again, stranger things have happened. It may just be a domino effect, right?
0: It's a good point, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you can make the comparison to what Disney was planning on doing with the Harry Potter characters, which was what, two dark rides and a quick service restaurant, sort of a Harry Potter mini land mm-hmm. in, in the Magic Kingdom and versus what Universal did. They actually Described it as a, a theme park within a theme park, and then they built as a Companion, Diagon Alley, and the Hogwarts Express to connect the two. And speaking of Potter, July sixteenth—that's when all of the Harry Potter movies, which again, remember, Disney, you know, had they, they were showing them on ABC Family, and there used to be those wonderful weekends where they, they'd run all the movies back to back to back. As of July sixteenth, these now exclusively air on Sci-Fi and. Which, of course, is a cable channel owned by NBC and NBC Universal. And have you seen uh, the ads that they're doing uh, as part of this campaign to sort of tease the, the arrival on sci fi? Yeah,
1: it looks very familiar to a certain celebration that seemed to happen. I, I don't know about you, but the backgrounds looked very familiar.
0: What Dustin is referring to is that NBC Universal sent camera crews down and they shot footage at the most recent Harry Potter celebration so you have all of these folks dressed up and you're clearly excited about Mr. Potter and for me it's it's a very smart thing to do to connect the two between the Potter movies that'll run on sci-fi and the celebration I mean can't help but make people aware of well, when it happens in 2019 it'll be interesting to see if the numbers go up there we were talking about uh, Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley and the Hogwarts Express. Yep. So again, the only places you can see the Potter characters in the Universal Parks until the Universal Orlando Cinematic Celebration. According to an interview that Mike Aiello, uh, he's the Senior Director of Entertainment, Creative Development for the Universal Orlando Resort, he just did an interview w- with Emma uh, Pocock of the the, the Leaky Cauldron. Yep. He was talking about how for the first time We're going to feature the Wizarding World outside of the land that, as part of this new nighttime show in the Lagoon, there's going to be a two-minute-long section that celebrates Harry Potter. Can I say this
1: right now just before we get, just take my money?
0: (laughs) It's funny you say take my money because what makes the Wizarding World unique is that you can wander around the land with that wand that you bought and do spells. What's interesting about this show is they're really highlighting the parks. So what ends up happening is that there's going to be a section of the show that's all about the spells you can cast in the land. Again, quoting from uh, Ms. Pocock's interview with Mr. that when we were developing Universal Orlando Cinematic Celebration, we thought an interesting way of telling the story of Harry Potter would be by using the spells to drive some of the visual images in this new nighttime show. So during the moment in cinematic celebration where you hear Wingardium Leviosa, the entire lagoon, thanks to the magic of projected media, will fill with feathers. Likewise, when you hear incendio, the entire lagoon will erupt in media-based flames and pyrotechnics.
1: Now, when you said Wingardium Leviosa, did you say Wingardium Leviosa or Leviosa?
0: Oh, I'm blanking <laughs> the name of the, the character. The no, pork, the, the amount the of... The kid who always blows stuff up. Exactly. Yes, okay. No, I'd probably be sitting here with a, my face on fire or with a pig nose right about now. <laughs> well,
1: we were talking about that earlier, that when people go to any theme park, it's all about these IPs. And it's about these characters. You walk around and you get that chance to see... entire Scooby gang. You get a chance to see over in Springfield with the Simpsons characters. And there is something to be said about the characters that are within the Harry Potter world. Because when you're going through Diagon Alley or even the original, and you're going through and seeing all these incredible details, you're in a living and breathing environment. So that's not a place where you're going to see Harry Potter just walking around. So this type of an experience where you do get that chance to have Harry Potter and I'm assuming his entire gang of friends out there in this incredible, the water screens and everything, like that, this is going to be just brilliant. Well,
0: this isn't just his friends. In fact, Mike Aiello's favorite moment, what he refers to was, was his goosebump moment of the show is that, and remember, this is a, a show that features texture mapping, that, that it's not just on the lagoon, it's also... On the buildings beyond the lagoon. So, for example, at a certain point in this two-minute-long Harry Potter section, you'll be looking at those New York tenement buildings that are along the waterfront. And you'll slowly see them crust over with ice. And, of course, anybody who knows the Potter films, it's like, oh, I'm seeing ice. (laughs) Yeah,
1: this isn't good.
0: (laughs) This is Dementors. And so now you have projected over the lagoon. You have the Dementors flying around. But again, just they want this to be hopeful. They want this to be the moments that the Potter fans want to see. So you're going to get Harry shouting expecto patronum and you're going to get to see his Patronus chase all the Dementors off of the lake. In another strictly for the fans type moment, one of the other things you're going to get to see is that great moment out of Prisoner of Azkaban where Harry sort of makes his triumphant flight over the Black Lake on the back of
1: Buckbeak. Oh, love that scene.
0: Just killer, lots and lots of killer stuff. But again, Harry's not the only character featured of Potter stuff. We're going to have a Jurassic World segment. Likewise, you're going to see a lot of the DreamWorks characters. Uh, Parks and Resorts has gotten really, really serious about folding these characters in since... NBC Universal bought that animation studio in April of 2016 for $3.8 billion. And not really going to be a surprise to anybody who has wandered into the Fast and Furious supercharge since that attraction opened at Universal Studios of Florida back in May. But it's this show is also going to feature a Fast and Furious moment. So much of the show is... Sort of inspired by World of Color? I mean, I don't want to say ripoff. Yeah, it's, it's
1: not a clone, but no, it's no, not an at all. inspiration that may have started with a certain lagoon on the other coast. Correct me
0: if I'm wrong. This show that they're doing at Universal City of Florida, it has over 120 fountains yep. that you know shoot
1: water and, and colored light and that sort of thing.
0: Whereas World of Color, how many does that show have?
1: I think it's about 10 times that amount. I think they're they're clocking in at just about 1,200.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, the shows are pretty much the exact same length. Mm-hmm. Mike is saying that the cinematic celebration will be 20 minutes long. And World of Color started out as a 28-minute long show. It's a, The most recent version has been cut down to 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. World of Color in California has a viewing area for 4,500 people per show. Yes. And and remember, the, initially the plan was they were going to do multiple shows at night. Now, this is a bad time to be looking for information about World of Color because obviously Paradise Pier is in the process of being changed over to Pixar Pier. That opens June 23rd. So the show is down for rehab. It doesn't come back up till the 23rd and but even then when you look at the schedule i can only find on saturday night the, the 30th there's only one show at ten fifteen, so I'm, I'm a little confused did they change that initially the whole plan was that people would go to the fast pass mm-hmm. stations and you could get the 8 o'clock show the nine fifteen, the 10 o'clock you know i mean there were multiple shows at night yes. whereas when i look at Universal has built, a, in the Central Park area of Universal Studios Florida, a space for 6,500 people. That sort of says to me one show a night. Does that say the same thing to you? Yeah,
1: because we're looking at, like, anyone can, can have a water show. And you look at something mm-hmm. like Fantasmic, where you have a, a theater. You load mm-hmm. the theater, you perform the show, everyone leaves the theater. With this Mm. type of of an experience, it's not a theater. It's a viewing area. So you're actually going to be seeing a show that all the way around this lagoon, people could really see. It's not going to be a good angle from Mm. what we've seen with the the testing and such. There is a perfect spot that you want to be in. That's within the construction area that they're producing now. The thing that's, that's really striking up with with me whenever I I saw this come up was what's going to happen with all of the extra businesses within Universal that really want to take advantage of the cinematic spectacular.
0: I am so glad you you brought this up because that I just naturally assumed it was going to be the Disney playbook of special dining packages that then got you into the theater and but you've been out sort of beating the bushes trying to chase down info on this, and
1: that's not what you saw? Yeah, that's it's a catch-22. Anytime you're walking in that area, you can see ample space for dining opportunities. There's three or four main spots. You have Lombards. You have some really good spots that you could do these types of dining experiences. But if the main show is being produced for that single spot – That makes me believe that maybe dining is going to be an afterthought. It's still going to be there. Believe me, you're going to see the dinner packages. You're going to see dessert parties. You're going to see the potential probably of having this show produced when all these various companies can rent out the studios for the evening. There's potential for it. But right now, from what we can tell, like if you're sitting on Lombard's, You know, in the the back patio area, you get a view of the back of the water screens. So I don't know if it's going to be as, as prevalent as some of the spots, especially with something like Illuminations at Epcot, when you have full fledged restaurants that are going out of their way and building into the lagoon just to have more dining locations so they can do that upsell. With Universal, it hasn't been announced yet, but I could definitely see maybe within the next little bit, whenever they do announce that it will be opening, I could definitely see that going out to the public.
0: There's so many questions. I mean, you know, for example, you know, the viewing area has been built in the Central Park section, but let's remember, in fact, one of the most highly praised scare zones for last year at Halloween Horror Nights was the Trick or Treat that took people through. Central Park, mm-hmm. and that begs the question, are they going to run this show during Halloween Horror Nights, which isn't this year the most nights they've ever offered it? Yeah, and,
1: and we're also looking at is within that area, there's also the Doc Brown Back to the Future train. Is that mm-hmm. going to be moved? Are they going to realize that, yes, you can have 6,500 people watching a show, But what happens to everyone who's over at Diagon Alley or going into Men in Black or going to Simpsons, it is a crowd situation. And you and I have both been, you know, at the end of Phantasmic or at the end of even at the, the Harry Potter nighttime uh, fireworks in the projection mapping show. There is a bottleneck and it does take a lot of time to get out of that. And if they're running it after the park is closed, there's really only one way out. So it'll be very interesting. I'm expecting to hear stuff about what will happen, but we're looking at it, 120 fountains. We've seen the testing going on. It it does look very, very nice.
0: I agree. It looks like a great show, and given the show moments that Mike's talking about, I can't wait to see this thing. But there's a part of me that loves La Bamba, the the, the Mexican restaurant that's (laughs) across from the Hollywood Makeup Show, and that's open so infrequently these days. And given that it's the nearest restaurant, really, well, I mean, other than Mel's Drive-In, to this facility, I mean, I'd I'd love to see them throw that open again and put some, offer guests some dining packages. But uh, well, all right. Well, speaking of dining, we should probably talk about the movie that's eating up the box office right now, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. But but first, I think we need to stop for an ad here. So (laughs) we'll be right back. And we're back. So as I mentioned before we cut away here, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, mind you, it hasn't opened in the States yet, but it's already begun opening in various territories overseas, like China, for example. And what's kind of interesting about the strategy that Universal has taken is they were they had two goals here by opening it outside of North America early. And one was to avoid the World Cup. And the other thing was, frankly, Uh, to get out of the way of The Incredibles, which probably was a good idea, given the 180 million plus that Pixar film made over this past weekend. And it seems to have been a really smart play, because to date, the fifth film in the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise has earned three hundred and seventy million dollars, and again, that that's without selling a single ticket in the states or
1: Canada for them. That yeah, that's not bad. That's no, that no. that's a, a true testament to, I believe, the fact that it's a solid franchise. People mm. are really taking stock with the characters. The characters are brilliant within this movie, and I think that when we're looking at like the fourth and the fifth and so forth from this, the potential is there to really have people escape. Because that's the whole point of going to some of these these movies, is you want to have it in reality but not quite there, which that kind of, it, it's part of the universal playbook,
0: isn't it? Well, but it, it, it's interesting you bring up, you know, the, the fourth or fifth try. And the. There's what they were refer to as you know, franchise fatigue. In fact, not to, to put too fine a point on it, but there's a lot of people at Disney right now poking a stick at Solo going, what the hell happened there? <laughs> yep. NBC, Universal, Comcast, the whole schmear, they took none of this for, for granted. They knew they had a monster hit three years ago with the original Jurassic World, but they weren't going to assume that people were going to show up automatically. So they found all of these ways to keep Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in front of mind. So what we got, for example,
1: you know the blue. Yeah, the the Raptor meet and greet, which happened uh, at both sides. So that actually happened in Hollywood, and we it's a different character, isn't it? Like the one that's out there walks out. It's a different costume.
0: That the way the Raptor puppets or the Raptor suits are handled on the you know, East Coast West Coast is very different. Uh, uh, speaking of doing something different on the East Coast, though, that. The Lowe's Pacific introduced uh, these Jurassic World suites that, you know, evidently little kids who love dinosaurs are just just eaten up. Uh, and, I'm sorry. And, little kids,
1: it, take my money. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. But
0: weren't you also saying that the, they also did some pretty cool stuff inside of Jurassic Park at Islands?
1: Yeah. So – Recently, they had one of these uh, social media meetups. And by the way, if if you aren't following the theme parks and especially some of the the media contacts and the, the annual pass holder thing, there's so many different Twitter and Facebook groups that you should be paying attention to because every so often they'll put out a request. And it's, hey, we're doing something to do with Jurassic Park. Who wants to come and play? So what they did was they opened up to a, a very limited amount of uh, social media folks. And uh, people got to go out. They It was at nighttime, so after the park had closed. And being an adult, it was very nice because I got a chance to see that they open up Terradon flyers. So usually for that attraction, you have to have a kid with you. But mm-hmm. they allowed, I think it was only one person, so you could only go on... Solo, like a single rider type thing. But mm-hmm. it was really amazing to see not only the the love for the Jurassic Park franchise, but the fact that Universal knows how to light that area up. And as soon mm-hmm. as the sun goes down, we all think about Harry Potter, but within the Jurassic Park section, there is a lot of potential. They also brought out the Jurassic World Alive, which... Do you remember Pokemon Go?
0: Oh, God. Huge phenomenon. uh, obsessed with this.
1: Yes, yes, yes. We went to the point where uh, when it first came out, there were all these parties that were going on, and they would take over full parks, and it was a huge phenomenon. Well, there is a new app called Jurassic World Alive, and it's similar to Pokemon Go, but it's based off of Google Maps. So instead of the original Pokemon Go where it was locations where you had to have a landmark with this new thing it's a little bit different because you could be walking down the street and there are different uh, connection points they have 70 different dinosaurs you can combine them into all of these different different characters from the movies and like real dinosaurs but when I was looking at that it just it struck me that's what Universal is going for they're realizing that people like real world experiences and why wouldn't they give it to them? So when Jurassic World Alive was released, I think it was uh, May 24th, people started to take notice. And when I'm out there basically every day, it gets my steps in. We're looking at this, this opportunity to go out and, and play in the real world. And they had uh, exclusive dinosaurs and a couple really cool little things at this event event. So what we're seeing with Universal is that all of these social media things that come up, you want to stay involved because you never quite know what's going to happen.
0: Conversely, though, on, on the West Coast, obviously we had that Jurassic Park celebration, that private party, but for the opening of the movie, what, what they've done, I have to caution, folks, that this is only through June 24th, but out in front of the theater of the Universal Cinema where they're presenting Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Right now, there's a life-size T-Rex, 13 feet tall, 36 feet long. Likewise, they've got one of the gyrospheres that you can get your photo taken with, props and costumes. It sounds like this really cool display. And also, if you wander down the street to Voodoo Donuts, uh, as you mentioned at the Florida event, they've now got the Raptor Claw Donut, which I'm assuming is filled with raspberry jelly. (laughs) But, you know, again, it's just all of the stuff going on for this movie. But even as we're just looking at this one, Universal has already blocked out the release date for Jurassic World 3, which is June 11th, 2021. Now, when you were at Islands last month... Did you get over to Jurassic? Because I've been hearing
1: something about survey markers. Yeah, so we actually spent a lot of time at the Jurassic Park Island because it's one of the best photo ops of the Hulk. So you can get a really great view of everything within islands, probably one of the iconic spots to get your selfies or whatever. But as we were wandering around that area, we were seeing a lot of survey markers. And it's not one of those... You know, oh, there's a number or no, these are full out like they're planning something, planning something big. Not only are we talking about the supports for Terradon flyers, which I'm assuming that will stick around because you can't have enough attractions for kids. But as we're looking within that land, there is a lot of empty space that they could definitely use or something new?
0: Well, this is what, I guess, kind of confuses me. Well, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that confuse me here. One is that, okay, we've got Forbidden Journey, which is clearly a coaster. Yep. Oh, I me, mean, not Forbidden Journey, Forbidden Forest, uh, the family-friendly coaster that's going in there. But the talk that I'm hearing is about another thrill ride of some kind, it's supposedly a coaster, and again, down by the waterfront with the visitor center in the background, mm-hmm. and in fact, This is also supposedly part of re overhauling the theme of Jurassic Park so that it then reflects the Jurassic World film franchise? Yeah, the
1: the new technologies in the visitor center. Because we're looking at Jurassic Park, like that section of the park, it's been there for a while. And the experiences within the center itself are very dated when we're looking at the new Jurassic World. So... I don't oh, know. Forgive me
0: for being spoiler boy here, but if you just watch the Fallen Kingdom trailer, you see there's this giant volcano that's blowing up Ilta Nublar. So we, you know, we should the call the,
1: the volcano a bad volcano at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I don't know if there's such a thing as a
0: good volcano, but Dinosaurs. the island supposedly goes boom. Yeah. So if you're doing a Jurassic world overlay you're trying to get this open in time for jurassic world 3 am i really going to travel to florida for a section covered with cooling lava and black stone and i'm sorry maybe i don't i don't have the right mindset here for this okay well speaking of movies coming out a couple of years down the line we were mentioning that universal bought dreamworks back in 2016 but they are getting serious about the animation side of things. That Starting in 2020, Universal Pictures is planning on releasing three to four animated features per year with the notion of, uh, for example, Illuminations later this year. Holiday 2018 will release The Grinch. Next summer will be Secret Life of Dogs 2. And then for 2020, we're going to see Minions 2, And sing to. And whereas on the DreamWorks animation side of things, next March, we've got uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3, which they opted to drop the number for this one. It's called How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World. And then in 2020, you've got Trolls 2, which is called World, World Tour. So that's a lot of
1: stuff. It's a lot of characters, it's a lot of original IP. When you started to mention some of these movies, because we've, we've seen the Grinch, the original ones, and then the, the Jim Carrey release, and this one being the animated one, mm-hmm. looks very interesting. And then The Secret Life of Dogs, well, that was good, but now there's a second. And mm-hmm. Minions, anytime you walk into Universal Studios Florida, the way to see whether or not that park is busy is based on the Minion ride. If it's under an hour, you know it's going to be a little bit of a slower day. But if it's over an hour, you know, okay, it's going to be one of those days where we are, we should just go and buy the Express Pass because it's going to be nothing but lines.
0: Now, the Minions, of course, are going to be featured in Universal's cinematic celebration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got our Fast and Furious also in cinematic celebration. We talked about Harry Potter. We talked about Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. But the Trolls. Are also featured. Yeah. In this thing, I was pointing this out to the friend at Universal Creative, and who was pointing out that the key to this show is rather than the last show, the cinematic spectacular, which celebrated 100 years of Universal Studios, and you know took all you know, I mean, this wonderful compilation of, of so many great titles in the film library. Whereas this new show, the Universal Orlando's Cinematic Celebration. I've got to learn how to say that, right? <laughs> that this was only going to be about the IP in the park. Yes. And it's just sort of, and I could said it's like, so you just have the troll walk around characters now. Is you So you, this show pays a tribute to walk around characters? And said, well, that's all we have now.
1: I don't know what to make of that. Do we know? Are we being trolled? That's my question. Are we being uh, trolled?
0: You, I cannot <laughs> believe I set
1: that joke <laughs> up.
0: Okay. Totally pivoting away from the horrible joke. Sad note for those of you who who like Emeralds at CityWalk Orlando it was announced back on May 8th that that's going to be closing. In fact, it's closing soon. I've got a date of July 7th and have you heard anything about what's going to go
1: in there? Uh, similar to what we were talking about earlier with Universal keeping things very close to their notebooks, nothing yet, but that doesn't mean that they haven't already signed an agreement, that they already don't know what's coming in there. My thought whenever anything like this is coming up is to check the want ads, check the employment boards, reach out to uh, through LinkedIn and see what's going on. So my assumption is that something will come out sooner rather than later. You're not going to see it close without an announcement. But I could definitely see something similar to a cowfish or a voodoo donuts, one of those regional delicacies that are known within a a certain part of the market but want to be on a bigger, grander scale. I don't know. Is that something you've heard? No, I mean, that does
0: kind of fit in with Mark Woodbury's vision for for CityWalk. The notion is that you go there— and find things that you don't necessarily find you know at your local mall or elsewhere in the world and to be honest I I love cowfish I love voodoo donuts so I'd I'd love to see a new regional show come in there or a a regional restaurant get something different but eh, it'd still be sad to see Emerald go yeah
1: well one of the things with Emeralds and in that area within CityWalk is that there is a lot of turnover there's a lot of new concepts that come and go and we were talking about it a little while ago about the, you know, something like the hot dog hall of fame where there's potential for a lot of these types of cuisines that maybe aren't in the theme parks themselves. So, we can go through CityWalk and check off what's already there through the sushi, through the hot dogs, to burgers, to all these different things. Maybe it's going to be something that is completely off the beaten track. Maybe we're going to see a, a new concept through one of these other players. That's happened and it's all about location. And that is like Emeralds is the best location on City Walk. I, I swear it's it's brilliant. It's right there.
0: Speaking of turnover, though, just last week we're heading back to Hollywood now, we saw the opening of the new DreamWorks Theater on the upper lot of the Universal Studios Hollywood and This is the Kung Fu Panda Emperor's Quest show, and it's supposedly the first of, because I've got a a quote here from Karen Irwin, the the president and chief operating officer of Universal Studios Hollywood, and she supposedly told the Los Angeles Times that this theater, again, 241 seats, and with its giant 180-degree screen has the flexibility to change the entertainment and and feature other DreamWorks animation stories in the coming years. I love to hear that. I really do. But I will tell you from conversations I've, I've had with Mark Eads, the former Disney Imagineer who really plowed the road for Star Tours, you know, back in 86, 87. And there was always a plan that the original film, the, the flight to Endor, was only supposed to last three years. And then they were going to do a new ride film. And every three years, they'd bring a new ride film in. And, and, you know, so by the, in theory, after 10 years time, there would be all four shuttles at Disneyland would feature different destinations. And and that would be half the fun of going on Star Tours. But we all know that didn't happen. It was, what, 2011? before they, the adventure continues happened, So when a show like this opens in California, and let's face facts, that you know, when Shrek 4D initially opened at Universal Studios Hollywood back in May of 2003, it wasn't a month later that the Florida version opened in the production corridor area of that park. There has been no talk, nothing. I mean, not a whisper about Shrek 4D, you know, shutting down to make way for the Streamworks Theater mm-hmm. and uh, this Kung Fu Panda show coming in. And
1: well, we we thought it was going to go as soon as Jimmy Fallon opened. So the, the mm-hmm. talk was, okay, we're going to bring in another video-based attraction and that would give us leeway to be able to, you know, move on one of the other properties that we have. The technology to have another video could easily be worked into any number of properties but does it mean that it's going to happen no because it's also a really good spot for other events that take place
0: i think the hard rule is the t2 3d mm-hmm. in hollywood that that closed what the december of 2012 yes and then what was almost five years before the Universal Studios Hollywood version, or the Universal Studios Florida version shut down. And again, we're waiting for the, whatever it is that Terry Coop tells us is coming in there the summer of 2019. Yep,
1: and that's part of the fun, right? It's, there's always something new and the, the parks are a living and breathing, you know, environment and, you know, stranger things have happened.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, if we hear anything about Trek 4D going the route of the DreamWorks Theater the Kung Fu Panda Emperor's Quest thing Dustin and I will be sure to share that information on the very next Universal Joint Podcast but for now I, I think we're finally caught up so on behalf of Mr. Fuse I want to thank all of you for listening and I promise we'll be back with a new show soonish. okay so hang in there all right It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this
1: and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.